Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Well, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 55. Psalm 55 for our reading this morning. We're very glad to have Kevin DeYoung with us uh, this evening. He hasn't collapsed, uh, at least not yet. Uh, He was with us all day yesterday at a conference, preaching this morning, the end of a long week, and we're really delighted that Kevin uh, has been able to be with us. We've appreciated your ministry immensely, Kevin, and glad that you're here one more time uh, to preach to us. Just a little bit later in our service, I think um, after we've sung again, before we, before we take up our offering, I'm going to get Kevin to come up and just uh, see if we can get to know him a little bit more, ask him a few more questions about himself and his family and his ministry. Um, but before we do that, let's hear God's Word. Psalm 55. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord. Divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. For evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening evening and morning, and at noon I utter my complaint and moan, and He hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, He who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust 
in you. Amen. Again, thank you for such a, a, a warm invitation. And believe it or not, it was wonderful to see snow. We don't get to see it very often in Charlotte, so thank you for that. We've been very well looked after. I was speaking at the, the Creef Fellowship during the middle part of the week, and Jeremy Middleton from Gilcomston here was taking care of us, and then David taking care of us here over the weekend. So Aberdeen and its pastors have acquitted themselves very well and very grateful. And with the, the differences, and I, I like to compare and think about the differences too, and I always ask that when we have visitors over to the States, and yet I find in all of my travels that there are such precious, immediate similarities that you can go to some other part of the world, and when you are with brothers and sisters in Christ who have the, the same faith and know the same Lord, there is immediately a sense you could fit right in at Christ's covenant, and those people could love to be here with you, and so it's a sweet, precious thing to see the body of Christ all around the world. Thank you. This sermon tonight from Psalm 55, which has already been read for us, is a little bit different than the usual sermon that I preach in that it's, uh, we are going to go through the text, but it's not the same kind of expositional sermon. In fact, I want to do things a little backwards by giving to you the application up front. And it is going to be one very specific, concrete point of application. Now, because it's so specific, I can't say on the authority of God's Word that you must do this, but let me put it to you like this. My goal with this message is that sometime this winter, let's say between now and Easter, sometime in the next two and a half months, each one of you in this room, whatever age, you would set aside at least two hours, now a half day would be better, but let's say two hours one day to experience the joy of long wandering prayer. So a single point of application Sometime between now and Easter, as we enter into the Lenten season soon, that you would mark down on your calendar at some point to set aside two hours for the joy of long-wandering prayer. Now, what do I mean by long-wandering prayer? Twenty years ago, I read a book. It's still one of my favorite books on prayer. It's not that well-known. And it's called Long Wandering Prayer, An Invitation to Walk with God. It's by a Baptist pastor in the States, David Hansen. I wouldn't agree with David Hansen on every bit of his theology, but he's written a number of pastoral theology kind of books, and I would say it's a, it's a more theologically robust Eugene Peterson kind of book. There's much there that stuck with me, and I'll be referencing the book throughout this message. The main point of his book and, that, and this message is to consider what Hansen calls long-wandering prayer. And the text that I want us to use to get into that is Psalm 55, but we'll get there in just a moment, leave it open. We'll get there in a moment, but I want to set the stage by explaining what I think are, are two different kinds of prayers. 
There are prayers with form, and then there are prayers without form. Let's talk about the first. The, the normal, daily, disciplined routine of prayer is prayer with form and using forms. That's how we pray many times with form. And that's not a bad thing. In fact, it's a very good thing. Sometimes we can be led to think that the only prayer that really counts is extemporaneous prayer that doesn't use any sort of other helps. But we know that not to be true. And we ought not think that prayer only counts if it's somehow very spontaneous and extemporaneous. We, one of the lies of our, our modern world is that those things that are most passionate and most authentic must be the most spontaneous and extemporaneous. If there's plan, if there's form, if there's tradition, then it must somehow be not quite authentic. But many times when we pray, we pray with forms. Let me give you an example from the Bible. The book of Lamentations. What is that book about? It's a book of lament. It is a passionate, desperate prayer. Five chapters, and that book is all about the prophet's lament and his plea and his petition before the Lord as Jerusalem has been overrun and has been destroyed. So it's a book of great pathos, a lament. But have you ever noticed or perhaps been taught about lamentations? Turn there real quickly in your Bible. You can see this for yourself. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. You may notice a little footnote in your Bible. At some of the chapters, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, depending on your Bible, it may or may not have it, but many of them will have a little footnote to tell you that chapter 1 is an acrostic. An acrostic meaning each verse follows with consecutive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. If you look at Lamentations chapter 1, you can see there are 22 verses because how many letters are in the Hebrew alphabet? 22. Chapter 2, there are also 22 verses following an acrostic with the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Chapter 3, you notice, has 66. That's because they're in stanzas of three. Three times 22 is 66. So verses 1, 2, and 3 are Aleph, 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 4, 5, 6, Beit, 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 and so on throughout the Hebrew alphabet. The reason for pointing this out is to show you that here in the most passionate of books, with such a desperate prayer, Verse 16 of chapter 1, I weep and my eyes overflow with tears. 2.11, my eyes fail from weeping. Chapter 5, verse 1, remember us, O Lord, what has happened to us. Look upon our disgrace. This emotional, pitiful prayer is the product of great form and structure. You don't just go and write down a prayer off the top of your head into a Hebrew acrostic. So form and passion can go together. And it's an example 
of what we often do in prayer. Prayer takes planning, it takes hard work, it takes organization. Now, there's always a danger that prayer can become rote or dry or dull or lifeless, but it is true. There is no shortcut to praying consistently and thoughtfully except for some prayer that is going to take planning and organization. I, I am almost certain that virtually everyone in this congregation would say, I wish that I prayed more. Or if you don't wish that, you would at least say, I wish that I wished to pray more. Almost every Christian I know feels inadequate in their prayer life. It's something we want to do, we know we should do, we just don't feel very good at it. And there's no way around it. There are some disciplines required to pray. You think about if you get up, if you have your prayer time in the morning, you have a cup of coffee, uh, if you have nothing planned out, you have nothing to help you with prayer, it's no wonder that we so easily wander off because if you roll out of bed in the morning, and somebody says, okay, I want you to do a 20-minute monologue on anything, go! <laughs> well, most of us don't just roll out of bed ready to say something meaningful and important for 20 minutes in a monologue. You need help. You need forms. Some of you use prayer cards. You put people down on prayer lists. Maybe you use the acronym ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. We need the discipline of corporate prayer like this coming together. You can use good resources. The best resource besides the Bible for prayer is a good hymnal. Many of you would know of the Valley of Vision or Be Thou My Vision. One of the great Gibsons helped put that together. The Book of Common Prayer different devotional books, creeds and confessions, and most importantly, of course, we pray Scripture. Jonah's prayer in the belly of the fish is almost entirely derived from the Psalms. So there you have Jonah in the moment of his greatest earthly crisis and what comes out of him in passionate prayer, but all the Scripture that he had learned. That's why we need to Immerse ourselves in God's Word. What will we have to draw on in life's darkest hour? The Lord's Prayer is a model for prayer, the model for prayer. And when in doubt, use Scripture. Uh, ben Patterson, who was my chaplain when I went to a Christian school, and I learned a lot from him about prayer, and he also has good books on prayer. I learned from him three R's in prayer. With any verse in the Bible... How do you pray Scripture? Any verse in the Bible, you can do these three things. You can rejoice, you can repent, or you can request. Now, if you do the Psalms, it's a little bit easier, but really, almost any, you could turn to any verse in the Bible right now, and there would be something there to prompt you to rejoice. You'd see something of God's character or His provision or His promises. You could repent because you'd see how you fall short, or it's calling you to something and there's disobedience, and you can request. When I get stumped in prayer, which happens often, or when I am leading our, our staff or congregation in prayer, I often think very simply of those three R's. What in this passage calls me to rejoice, to repent, to request? So all of that 
is in this category of praying with form. And that's mostly what we do. Mostly is that daily time where you are going to have 5, 10, 15, a half hour. If you don't have, uh, if you've never done it before, try for five consistent minutes. If you're at five consistent minutes, maybe in this new year you get 10 consistent minutes. But that's where we have hymns and prayer books and scriptures and lists and cards. It takes form. On the other hand, another category is what this sermon is entitled, Long Wandering Prayer. And here, turn our attention to Psalm 55. Psalm 55 is an example of the freedom to pray without form. So we just saw all the ways we do regularly need to pray with form. Psalm 55 gives us an example of the freedom to pray without form. Let me show you what I mean. So look at verse 1. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. So right from verse 1, what is this of David? It is, among other things, a prayer. I want you to listen to me, God. I have a prayer. And it starts in just the way we think of prayer. O God, I'm directing God, and then it gives some imperative verbs, some commands, some requests. Do not hide yourself from me. Attend to me. Answer me. So that's what we think of prayer. God, I'm here. Listen to me. Here I go. But notice what happens next. The prayer then becomes an expression of David's inner turmoil. So he goes from saying, God, do this, listen, answer, to then the second half of verse 2, I'm restless, I moan. The, the, these people, they, they trouble me in anger. They bear a grudge against me. Verse 4, my heart is in anguish, fear and trembling come upon me. I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would wander far away. I would hurry to find shelter. So the second half of verse 2 to verse 8, the prayer becomes an expression of David's inner turmoil. My thoughts trouble me. My heart anguish me. And then... David moves back to imperatives in verse 9, okay? Addressing, destroy, O Lord, the wicked, divide their tongues day and night. They trouble within me, ruin in the midst, oppression and fraud. But now look at verse 12. This is where the prayer gets very strange. That is, until we realize that there is freedom to pray without form, or we might say freedom to have long wandering prayer. Because remember verse 1, a prayer, oh God, listen to me. But now what does he do in verse 12? Well, it sure seems like he's talking to someone who is not even there. For it is not an enemy who taunts me that I could bear it. It's not an adversary could hide from him, but it is you, a man. We used to take sweet counsel together, verse 14. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. Do you see what David is doing? He's still praying to God, but he's talking to this enemy, at least in his head. You're my friend. You were my man. We were, we were companions. 
So he's still praying to God, but he's no longer addressing God directly. And then verse 15, he goes back, let death steal over them, and he asks for those that may be troubling us, and he asks that God would deal with them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. Evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. And then in verse 16 through 19, now David's heart focuses back to God. But notice, he is not speaking in the second person as he did at the beginning, O you, God. Now he's saying, but I call to God. He's speaking of the Lord in the third person, and the Lord will save me. He redeems my soul in safety. I could see, you know, in a in a ministerial training class, maybe marking down the students, say, time out. <laughs> no, you're, you're addressing God. Let's keep praying to God. But David here in this wandering prayer is now speaking about the Lord in the third person who hears me, will save me. And then verse 20 and 21, my companion stretched out his arm. His speech was smooth. He, he's talking again about his traitorous friend. And then verses 22 and 23, he concludes his prayer now, by talking to whom? To himself. Cast your burden on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. He's talking to himself and to all those whom he, he knows in this prayer will listen. Cast your cares on the Lord. And then he finishes again where he started, addressing God in the vocative, but you, O oh God, will cast them down and then he finally ends with this expression of his heart that says, I trust in you. Here's the point. There is freedom in the form of prayer. Now, I didn't say a free-for-all, say whatever you want, however you want. But Psalm 55 shows us that prayer is not always just a second-person dialogue with God that says, Oh God, please do this. I'm sorry. You're like this. I love you. Psalm 55 offers us, if, I'm, if we can be so risky here, it offers us maybe a broader definition of prayer. In, a, in the broadest definition, we might think of prayer like this. Prayer is a form of thinking in the presence of God according to the Word of God by the Spirit of God through the Son of God. Prayer is a form of thinking in the presence of God, according to the Word of God, by the Spirit of God through the Son of God. That's what I think Psalm 55 is. It, it, it counts, so to speak, as a prayer because it's the expression of David's heart that is lifted up heavenward. Prayer is a form of thinking our thoughts in the presence of God unto the Lord. That means sometimes in prayer, you talk to God. Sometimes you're talking about God. Sometimes you're talking about yourself. Sometimes you're talking to yourself. Sometimes you may be talking to people who aren't there. Yes, this sermon is giving you permission to talk to imaginary people in your prayer. It is a kind of running dialogue given up to God. All that is to say, prayer is not always a neat, tidy, sermonic address. It can be messy and meandering. Now, listen very carefully. I'm not saying at all 
that this can be reduced to the sort of headlines you see in magazines in the grocery store checkout, wakefulness, mindfulness, contemplation, or self-talk. No, this, this is not just, this is not centering exercise. This is not just being mindful of your surroundings. No, this is really looking and lifting up our thoughts to the real God of the universe, hemmed in by the Word of God, dependent upon the Spirit of God, offered up according to the person and the work of the Son of God. So we, we want this to be distinctively Christian prayer. This is not some centering exercise. Sometimes your best prayer will be a long walk of wrestling, searching, thinking in God's presence. Uh, I try to do this. We used to have it regularly required of, of our pastors on staff, and we've moved away from making it an absolute requirement, but it still is a regular pattern in my life that I try to put on the calendar at some regular intervals, simply to have days of prayer, and you say, well, that, that may sound very impressive to you, as if I'm on my knees in this position for eight straight hours. Well, it's, it's not quite like that. Usually, when I have a day of prayer, I have a list of five or 10 or 15 things that have been rattling around in my brain that in the course of all of the busyness of life, I just I haven't had time to really sink into. And I may take those things and simply go on a walk. Great thing about walking. Here, here's here's the, the secret to my entire prayer life is I walk. Why? Here's one of the reasons. It's much harder to fall asleep. It's harder to fall asleep when you're standing up, unless you're a horse, I'm told. So I walk when I pray. And those prayer days, though I don't consider myself a, a, an amazing prayer warrior at all, those are some of the best days of the year. Just going out for an hour or two or three with a list. You know, 10 of the people on the list just, just can be my family, but then there's other things that I just haven't had time. And, and often it's, it's, it's sins that have been creeping into my life or anxieties. And remember, is it, is it Eustace who, needs, who has all the dragon scales that need to, Aslan needs to painfully scrape off? I feel like that's sort of what the long wandering prayer are things deep in my soul that I haven't had time to deal with before the Lord. And so I mull over and I'll wrestle with them and hopefully do it in a way that is unto the Lord. So how does this work if the goal of this sermon is that you would set aside sometime between now and Easter two hours, I mean one two-hour block at least for long-wandering prayer? What might this look like? Well, let me try to be very practical here. I said it's something more, a little more of a topical sermon. Let me give you some practical suggestions, how to pray like this and why to pray like this, and then we'll be done. How? How to pray long wandering prayer. Because for most of us, the thought of praying for two hours is, is intimidating, if not impossible. It's not what we normally do. So number one, you need to be alone. 
Now, again, you can do this. You can, we, all, we often pray with other people, but this kind of meandering prayer, you need to be alone. In his book, Hansen points out that what we really need is, is the lack of bother. So alone could be some of you can go to a coffee shop and there's noise and the hum of people all around you, and yet you're very much alone. You're not bothered. You could be walking in a busy city and still be alone and that you have the lack of bother where, on the other hand, you could be sitting you know, on the top of some Monroe with your phone. I don't know, do they get cell phone coverage up there? But if you're there with your phone, you don't feel alone. <laughs> you're distracted. So you need to do this with some kind of solitude, alone, lack of bother. That's another reason for walking. It's uh, harder for people to stop and bother me. Number two, you need to be aware of your body. Here's what I mean. We may, we may have the greatest spiritual aspirations, but here's the reality. You cannot pray more than your body will allow you to pray. You can't. We often make prayer into something body-depriving and mind-numbing, and then we wonder why we, we aren't any good at it. Look, it, it's not unspiritual. God gave you a body. God came to earth and took on a body. In the new heavens and the new earth, you will have a body, and with this earthly body, you have limitations. You have to eat and sleep you're distracted. A short attention span doesn't mean we can't pray for a long time. It means we need to refocus more frequently. See the difference? People will say, well, you don't know. I, I, I can't even think about anything for two hours. I'm so easily distracted. Squirrel! Just like, you know, your dog does that. A short attention span doesn't mean you can't pray a long time. It means you need to refocus more frequently. And when it happens, don't, don't flagellate and say, I'm such a terrible person and I'm distracted. Don't, don't, don't add that. Just, just recalibrate and keep praying. So you need to be aware of your body. You understand that we often teach our kids to pray with their hands folded and their eyes closed. At least I learned that as a child. Okay, everyone, children, fold your hands, close your eyes, and then Later, hopefully, you learn, well, I'm actually not sure of all the postures in Scripture that we ever have that exact posture, and then you realize, you know why you do that to kids? So they can't grab other people with those hands. That, that's, that's why you put your hands together and your eyes closed to, to focus. So even instinctively, we understand with children, you have certain limitations with your body. The Scripture gives us all sorts of ways to pray. Sometimes people are on their face, they're on their knees, their hands uplifted. There's lots of ways. And so I commend to you walking. You walk out, you walk back, you stay awake. I was encouraged when I read years ago, Jonathan Edwards, George Mueller, these great heroes of the faith used to do the very same thing. They used to or they'd go on horseback ride. I never take my phone if I can help it when I'm doing that. Yes, you may get distracted as you're walking. You may see other things and think about other things, but it will also remind you to pray. 
for other things. Well, sometimes we've done uh, with a staff exercise where we pray through our church. And it's amazing if you all just, and you especially you think about, this would be a great thing to do when you get into the, to the new church. We'll go through, and it's amazing, room to room. You come in here and you just think, huh, what's here? We're going to pray for the preaching of the Word. We're going to pray for the musicians. Pray that we would have good offerings, wherever that went. So we're going to pray for these three drips that are happening right there. Uh, you pray. You go into the creche, and you pray for all the children that will be there, and for volunteers, and you pray in the Sunday school rooms. And you, moving from place to place reminds you and instructs you of things to pray. You can do it in your own home or flat. The different rooms remind you what happens here in this kitchen. May this be a place not just of, of eating, but of fellowship. So move. Pay attention to your body. Three, you may need to try a new place to pray, but don't think that a new place is the answer. That is to say, sometimes it does help, doesn't it, if you're on holiday and you're at the beach or you're at a hike in the woods, that the place really does matter. And it is easier if you go to one of the great cathedrals in your country. There can be something about just the, the awe-inspiring majesty of the place that lifts your attention heavenward. And you can, you can pray. So you may need to try a new place. But the caution here is don't think that that's the answer to all your problems. I remember when the very first time I ever visited Colorado, where the big mountains are in the United States, and you come across the plains, which are just you know, hours and hours of boring driving, and then you see in Colorado Springs, Pikes Peak, it's over 14,000 feet tall, and it's just blasts at you. And I was with a, a group of friends from college, and they all said, that's amazing, and they said, if I lived here, I would just stand amazed at that mountain peak every single day. No, they wouldn't. <laughs> my my in-laws live in Colorado Springs. I've visited there many times. And you know what? After about a week, you're like, oh, there's a mountain. I forgot about that. You probably don't even notice all of the amazing churches, a few of which are churches, I understand, in your lovely city. Or, or, or the, the sea, just uh, a half mile from here. We grow very used to those things. So space and place can help us, but that by itself is not the answer. Hansen says in his book, long wandering prayer is not about praying on vacation. Spiritual groupies swarm to the retreat of the moment, hankering for a mystic jolt, while the garden variety sinner beats his breast in the Holy of Holies, two blocks from his house. You can do this wherever you are. That's a few thoughts on the how. Let me just finish with some practical suggestions on the why. Why should you do this? Besides, I hope, an example in Scripture. One, we need long prayers for big problems. You may find prayer... You knew you needed, but you were afraid to get to. There are some things that just can't be dealt with in the 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes 
of daily disciplined prayer. We need long prayers for big problems. Number two, similarly, we need the space to think the thoughts we didn't know were there. One of the things that our world makes very difficult is being alone with your thoughts. You, you, can, you, can, have, you can have something in your ear all the time. Uh, so I like to run, and I know most people like having run. I actually like running, and people are amazed. They say, Kevin, you, never, you don't listen to music when you run. You don't listen to a podcast when you run, and, and no problem if you do those things. But I always say, no, the, r- running is the time where I have clarity and silence and nothing else but my thoughts. It's amazing how many times I'm working on a sermon and sitting down and I'm just at an absolute impasse and I get up and I move around and there's new idea, there's new blood flow. When it comes to this sort of long wandering prayer, no phone, no music, you will be surprised where your thoughts end up. Sometimes a very pleasant surprise and sometimes you will come face to face with some fears you didn't know you had, some insecurities, some anger, some anxiety, some sins, but you need the long meandering prayer to get there. Three, we need enough time to land on the right prayers. Sometimes, and I think we see some examples of this even in Psalm 55, you notice that in the middle, his prayer is, mm, my enemy, ah, he's betrayed me, and would you destroy him? Well, there's a proper place to ask for the Lord's justice, but did you see how the prayer ends? Verse 23, but I will trust in you. Have you ever had the experience of praying for a long time because in the middle you have a lot of ugly prayers? Sometimes you need those ugly prayers to get all the way through to the other side where you can end with verse 23. I said a lot of things, Lord, and maybe some of those things were not the best things, but here's where I land. I trust in you. Several hours in ugly prayer can keep you from saying or doing ugly things. Fourth, We need the faith to attend to the good portion that Jesus offers us. You think of Mary and Martha. In his book, David Hansen says, this book is about praying for hours when life is good enough with 20 million things to do. That's when long prayer requires the greatest sacrifice. He says in a line that maybe will strike some of you, if you must mop the dust bunnies before you can walk and pray, the God of Israel isn't telling you that. Now, I like order. I like a clean house. So that is, eh, I don't actually like mopping dust bunnies, but it is true. Many of us feel all of those pressures when everything seems more important than to get out and have a long walk of wrestling prayer with the Lord. It takes guts to pray like this. And here's the final thought. We need to pray long wandering prayer for the very simple purpose that we need time with God. Prayer is, is always going to be hard. There's always going to be an aspect of discipline with it. But I hope you find as a Christian, don't you find that you wish you had 
more time with God? If you struggle in your disciplines with prayer, I don't think it helps to, to feel like, oh, I'm such a failure, I'm a terrible Christian, I didn't read my Bible through last year, I'm off to a rotten start already in January. I don't think that helps you grow at all. But you do need to examine your heart. Is there in your heart a desire to spend time and to know God? If you're married, Yes, you have certain routines and disciplines, but even more than that with your spouse, your spouse wants to know, do, do you want to be with me? Do, do you want to know me? Uh, do you want to hear from me? When I get home, Lord willing, tomorrow, it will be a joy simply to see my wife again, to hear from her, to hear from my kids. Don't you want to know your children, your grandchildren, your friends? You have a desire to spend time with people that you love and know and trust. So surely, we want to have this time with God, the God of the universe. You can talk to Him, the one who made us, the one who loves us through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's at the right hand interceding for us, the Spirit coming alongside to intercede with groans for us. You become like the one you are with. We see this with couples sometimes. Sometimes it's very sweet, sometimes it's a little embarrassing. Wow, you're dressing the exact same way. <laughs> you spend time in another country and you pick up something of their accent, uh, even if it doesn't sound very good. I'm told that Mel Gibson's accent in Braveheart was spot on, absolutely perfect Scottish accent. You pick up something with the people that you're with, their demeanor, their dress, their speech. And so, the only way to become more like God is to spend time with God. Have you realized that the, the central and number one command that Jesus gives us relative to prayer? Do you know what it is? The number one thing that it seems Jesus wants to tell us about prayer. Can you think of it? Ask. Ask, seek, knock. It's a recurring theme. Jesus wants to tell us, would you come? Would you talk to me? Just coming through Christmas, our kids give me and my wife a list of things to get them. Very thoughtful, very expensive. They will... Um, I can't complain. I did the same thing when I was growing up. I would give to my parents a list of things not to get me because I didn't want the precious Christmas dollars wasted on sweaters and things. So our kids, unrealistically, mom, dad, just maybe five or six gifts. Well, the multiplier of nine adds up real quickly with that many gifts. And so it's always a, a bit of a relief when, especially for my wife, when we get past Christmas and to make sure everyone has the equal amount and always there's somebody, you have three and you have eight. I don't know, we, we missed count. So it's a bit of a bother, but you know, you know what's, what's not? You learn as a parent, you, you actually do enjoy giving the gifts even more than receiving the gifts. And as much as because we don't have infinite resources or infinite time, it can be a bit of a hassle, yet we love as parents because you know what it says? My children believe 
that I can do something for them and that I want to do something for them. And so they give me a list and they ask. Even the asking is a measure of their faith. Mom and dad love me. They have something. They will love to get me something. Do you believe that about God? Do you want to spend more time with God? We need the daily discipline of praying with hymns and scripture and forms, and you need the joy of meandering, long, wrestling, free prayer, thinking our thoughts in the presence of God. As Gandalf famously said to Frodo in The Lord of the Rings, not all who wander are lost. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word, for these dear saints. We pray that you would help us to grow in prayer, the discipline of prayer and the joy of wandering our thoughts that you might teach us and be with us and shape us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.